We are in week two of this teaching series through the book of Jonah, and it's been really cool to just dive into a really tiny little book of the Old Testament. In fact, uh, we're going to jump right in today, so if you've got a Bible, go ahead and flip it over to Jonah chapter two. If you don't have a Bible, we've got some spread under your seats. You can pick those up and use them now. In fact, if you need one, like you don't have a Bible to use uh, at home, you can take one of those with you. That's totally fine. Um, flip over to Jonah. Like I said last week, it's a tiny little book. I think it's only 48 verses in the whole book. And so you might actually, uh, you might actually miss it flipping through. So feel free to go to the index at the front of the Bible and find it. It's, it's kind of a tough one to find. But we're going to be there, and we're going to pick up right where we left off last week. Now, if you missed last week, um, let me just tell you, the story of Jonah is, is crazy. I mean, it's kind of a short story, and it's a crazy story. Uh, but it's pretty simple, too, because basically here's what you've got. You've got this guy named Jonah, okay? Jonah is a, a prophet of God, and so he's been delivering messages to the nation of Israel for God. But there's this one point where Jonah is, uh, is, is, is spoken to by God, and God tells him to do something that he just doesn't want to do. He says, go to the city of Nineveh and, and tell the people there that that their sins have come up before me and it's really bad and that if they don't turn from their sin, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to destroy them. And uh, we talked a lot about the city of Nineveh last week. Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh. There were a variety of reasons. And so you know what he did? He goes the opposite direction. He goes the complete opposite direction. Nineveh was to the east. He went to the west. He goes down to a port city at Joppa. He hops on a ship headed for Spain, the city of Tarshish. We also talked about last week that sometimes when there's something that we don't want to do, that God is asking us to do. Seems like there's always a boat headed in the opposite direction. That's been true for me. Like, you know, I don't have to do that. I'm going to do what I want to do. That's what Jonah chooses to do. But while he's out there, the circumstances for him get pretty rough. The storm comes along and begins to basically rip the boat apart. Jonah believes and knows because he's a prophet of God, I guess, that the reason the storm is there was because Jonah was being disobedient. So he tells the people on the boat, hey, it's my bad. It's my bad. I work for for God, the creator of the universe, and he's upset at me because I'm disobeying him right now. Like, why'd you do that for? He's like, I don't know. I wasn't thinking. He says, well, they're like, what should we do? And he says, just throw me off the boat, which last week we said was kind of crazy because you don't just throw people off perfectly good boats. Like people, normal, good people don't just throw other people off of boats during storms. So they actually don't throw them off right away, but Jonah keeps persistent and he's like, I'm telling you, you throw me off the boat, this storm will go away. So it must've got really bad because they were like, one and a two and a whoosh. And that's kind of where we left off last week. The verse we ended on last week was Jonah 1.17, which might be one of the craziest verses in the whole Bible. It said, now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Like I said, this story is weird. It is crazy. But if we learned anything last week, I think the lesson and the message was maybe this, that God is in the business of saving sinners. That's what he does. That's why he came to Jonah in the first place. He's like, listen, there's a city of Nineveh. They are so far from me. Please go tell them about my love. And then he also, while they're in the storm, he's like, look, these sailors, they didn't do anything wrong. Let's provide some salvation for the sailors. A one and a two and a throw Jonah out, saves the sailors. Meanwhile, remember last week, the sailors, they worship Jonah's God after that. That's pretty cool. And even Jonah, while he deserves to be thrown into the sea and he's done bad things, even Jonah finds salvation. A little bit fishy. (laughs) And he finds salvation because God sends a fish. And, and that pretty much catches us up. So you, you know Jonah chapter 1 now. Um, this week we're going to jump right into chapter 2. And I'm going to start out by reading all 10 verses of chapter 2. It's a really short chapter. And just to kind of give you some perspective or some context, chapter 2 is basically a prayer 
that Jonah said while he was in the belly of that fish. And in case you're like really visual and you're trying to picture Jonah writing down this prayer while he's in the belly of the fish, it's like, I don't know, the, ma- the lighting was very good or if the fish occasionally would go open his mouth thinking like the sunlight could come in. I doubt he brought pen and paper. Odds are pretty good that Jonah wrote this down. Later, which is a spoiler, he gets out, but you already knew that. So Jonah is in the belly of this fish and this is the prayer that he says. And we're just going to read all 10 verses and then we're just going to break it down. It's, it's pretty packed. Let's just jump into that. Jonah chapter 2, verse 1. Here we go. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. And he said, In my distress, I called to the Lord. And he answered me, From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help. And you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas. And the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. And I said, I've been banished from your sight. Yet, I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. I don't know if you knew there was seaweed inside of big fish, but apparently there is. In verse 6, it says, To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God... You brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you. Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish And it vomited Jonah onto dry land. What a sentence, right? That's the part in the Bible where the fish threw up. Um, So there's so much meat to this this prayer that Jonah says. Like I said, it's pretty short. And so uh, I I, want to break this down in what I I believe are five big ideas. Five. One, two, three, four, five. Five big ideas. The cool thing about this is that you might just latch onto one of them. It might just be that one of these big ideas is like, that's what I needed today. And that's perfectly good because I believe the word of God is living and active and powerful in our lives and what we need out of it in a given point, God will send. And so there's five. I gotta give credit where credit's due. Um, I got these five big ideas from a pastor uh, at a church in Phoenix, Arizona named Todd Clark. So I'm grateful for that. Um, But we got these five big ideas and we're gonna break them down. And it actually begins, if you look at verse one, you'll see the first one. The first big idea is this. It's never too late to pray. It's never too late to pray. Jonah, like he's washed up. I mean, you would think like, dude, bro, bro, let it go. Like you are in the belly of a big fish. Let it go. But it's never too late to pray. Let's just look again at verse one. It says, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, which I'd like to add, I bet he did. (laughs) What? What are we going to do? From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord. It's never too late to pray. A few years back, you might remember, there was a U.S. Airways plane that had to make an emergency crash landing in the Hudson River outside of New York. Remember that? They called it the Miracle on the Hudson. I guess the, uh, the landing gear wasn't functioning or something. So the pilot did this amazing thing. He lands this plane in water, one that's meant to be landed on land. Can you imagine for a second what it was like in, in the, the fuselage of that plane, the passengers, when this captain comes on? Hey, guys, got some bad news here. Um, Looks like we're coming down pretty hot on uh, New York City, and I hope you get your sightseeing in because we're coming into the river. And so he's coming in. Can you imagine what it was like to be a passenger? You're like, oh, I knew it. I knew it. It's always my luck. And, but there was an interview with one of the, uh, the, the, the uh, stewardesses on the plane afterwards, and she said this about it that moment. She said, as the plane was coming down, it was very, very quiet. It seemed like everyone on board was praying. 
And I'd like to add, I bet they were. <laughs> right? Because it's what we do when we hit rock bottom. It's what we do when our plane's coming down. It's the foxhole prayer. It's that moment you're like, oh, shoot. Uh, God? <laughs> right? We're grasping at straws and we have nothing else to hold on to. And, and if we learn anything from Jonah, we learn that it's never too late to pray. As long as there's still breath in our lungs and opportunity in our life, God says, listen, call on my name. Don't just ignore me. Don't just say, I'm done. Hang it up. It's never too late to pray. And Jonah is not just some, you know, schmuck who doesn't understand God and doesn't get anything. This is, remember, Jonah had like a successful career as a, a prophet. He knew and he had seen the power of prayer. He had seen the power of God in this world. And so, like, look at verse 2. This is what he says because he's praying. He says in verse 2, in my distress, I called to the Lord. Listen to this. He says, and he answered me. From the deep, in the realm of the dead, I called for your help. Listen, and you listened to my cry. Jonah knows, like, it's not too late. I got one last place to turn. I'm going to pray. And if we learn anything from this last verse, it's that God hears us when we pray. He does. It might not always seem like it, but he does. He wants to hear from us. God hears us, and he hears us even when we've hit rock bottom. Maybe you've had this thought. I know I have. I can't talk to God right now. Like, I'm, just, I'm just too screwed up. Like I've made too many mistakes. I just can't talk to God right now. I was working at a, um, I work at a, summer, a Christian summer camp every summer, a couple years out of the year, and uh, I was there last week with a bunch of seven through nine-year-olds, which is fun. There were 82 of them. You should try it sometime. Um, we were having fun, but I was getting to talk to one of them, and, uh, and, and he, was, he was talking about some pretty deep stuff, actually, and he was talking about church, and he said, you know, my dad, my dad won't come to church with me and my mom. I said, really, why? He said, well, he says it's because he's just seen too much stuff and he's done too much bad stuff and our pastor would never understand. This is a man who believes that it's too late. Like, I've done too much. I've gone too far. I've made too many mistakes. And maybe you felt that way. Maybe you feel that way today. But it's not true. It's not true. Let me ask you a question. Parents, any parents in the house? I know we've got a lot of us in here, right? Parents, when do you love your kids more? Uh-oh. Listen to this question. When do you love your kids more? When they're being good or when they're being bad? You don't love them more either way, right? I love my kids. I love my kids. In fact, when they're being bad, maybe I have an extra affection for them because, man, I wish they would just get it right. I hope I can help them through this. And God is like that with us. He doesn't love us more when we're being good. He doesn't love us less when we're being bad. He says, call on my name, and it's never too late to pray. So that's the first big idea. Maybe that's what you needed to walk away with. But Jonah keeps praying, and I think we see a second big idea. Let's look at verse 3. This is, this is kind of cool. He says, you hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the sea, and the current swirled about me, and your waves and breakers swept over me. Here's the second big idea, okay? God can control circumstances to stop us from running. Last week was all about Jonah running, right? He was running away from God as far as he could in the opposite direction of God. And, and the, the thing is that Jonah realized this storm showed up because God caused it. When Jonah seen this storm, he didn't just say, oh, it's just another storm. Looked like us coming out the northeast and we're going to have this precipitation likely 100%. Like the waves are definitely going to crack this boat apart. And he's not being a meteorologist here. He's going, listen to what he says. He says, God, you hurled me. He says, your waves swept over me. God, you are the God of the Mediterranean Sea. God can control circumstances 
to stop us from running. And I've seen this in my life. I've seen when I've just gone too far, when I've gone off out of the way, where things have come into my life where I go, hello, wake up call. Maybe it's a phone call from a friend. Maybe it's me getting busted in a sin. Maybe it's somebody just coming to me with their questions. And I'm like, wow, I should be asking those same questions. Has that happened to you? Has there ever been a time in your life where you're like, I'm just kind of, I'm kind of wandering from God like we talked about last week. You're, you're running and you don't even realize it, but you look over your shoulder and it's like, whoa, God's way back there. Or maybe it's on purpose and you're like, forget that. I'm not going in the direction of God. God can and he does control and orchestrate events in our life when we run from him. And sometimes we're like, God, why you always got to cramp my style? Like, can can I just do what I want to do? Can you just let me do, God, please? I'm doing me. You do you. I'll do me. And and there are points at which God just says, fine. You want to do you? You do you. See how that works out. But there's a reason why God does these things. It's important for us to stand that God does not do these things to pay us back. I guess I deserve this. I deserve to get thrown into the sea, right? I deserve to get broken up with. I deserve to lose my job. Maybe you did. But God doesn't allow these things to happen to pay us back. You know why God allows these things to happen? God allows these things to happen to bring us back. Because it's when we hit rock bottom, and it's when we get separated, and it's when we're in the belly of a fish that we finally realize I got it wrong. There's only, there's only one person who can sustain me and love me unconditionally and provide for my needs, and that's God. That's God the Father, God the Creator, God the Sustainer. God doesn't give us these things and allow these things in our life to punish us or to pay us back. He allows these things to bring us back. And I can't tell you how many people I've met, many of you right here in this room are like, you know what, if that one thing had never happened, if it hadn't been for that car accident or that DUI, if it hadn't been for that moment when I got busted in this thing, if it hadn't been in that one moment, I don't know where my life would be. But something woke me up and it brought me back to where I need to be. Anybody with me on that? Yeah. It's huge and it's true. It was true for Jonah then and it's just as true for us today. Like any good father, God sees the value in just letting us sweat it out a little bit sometimes. Dads, you with me? Sometimes they just need to struggle trying to pick that thing up and put it up in the tree. When you told them, listen, don't build a tree house. That's just my real life experience. I'm just telling you. <laughs> you know? And you're just like, all right, fine. See how that goes. But God wants to bring us back. I think that might be what Jonah had in mind in verse 8 of his prayer. Let's just look at it. In verse 8, he said, you know, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. What's that about? Let's leave that up there for a second. Uh, what is an idol? An idol is anything that we love more than God. Anything that I'm going to say, I'm going to set this up ahead of my love for God. I mean, that's a very simplified version and definition of the, the word idol. But um, it could be your job that you invest in more than you invest in your spiritual life. It can be a relationship with someone that's not leading you closer to God. It might be leading you farther from God. But hey, I really like them, and they're pretty. And after all, it is easier to become a Christian than it is to become pretty. So maybe, you know, we, we justify all these things. Nah. Anything that we set up above our relationship with God, it becomes an idol for us. And, 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 and back in Jonah's time and even in some places around the world today, an idol can be like an actual figure, like a statue, a figurine, a, a piece of wood or something. But in our culture, it becomes some, some much uh, more tangible, real things in our lives. It's those things that we invest our life in. It's those things we pour ourselves into. It can be an addiction that is just controlling you right, right now. Or hope or dream or aspiration that you're like, I need that, I need that, I need that. And where's your relationship with God in that? And it's become an idol. 
And Jonah says, you know, those who cling to worthless idols, they turn away from God's love for them. I'm reminded of a verse in 2 Kings in the Old Testament, chapter 17, verse 5. It says, they follow worthless idols and themselves become worthless. There's a correlation between what we invest our lives in and the value that we have in our lives. And God says, I've got something that is valuable. I got something that has worth. Will you invest in me? Because if you invest in me, I give you value. You know, God has a plan for our lives. And that plan is best. And anytime that we let anything else control the direction or the quality of our life, we're settling for less than the best. God says, I have this for you. Do you want it? And sometimes we're like Jonah. And we're like, now I'm going to go make my own way. We're actually chasing worthless idols, which kind of stings a little bit. Because I know I don't want to be called an idol worshiper. Even in the times of my life when I wasn't following God like I should, I'm still like, well, I'm not an idol worshiper. But God can't control the circumstances in our life that will keep us from running. He does it not to punish us, but to bring us back to him, which is really good news. That's what Christianity is all about. That's what church is all about. It, it brings me to my third big idea, and I hope that this is the big idea that maybe sticks with the most of us this morning, because as we keep on reading, we get this third big idea. I'll give it to you first, and then we'll read the next section. That God's grace is guaranteed. God's grace is guaranteed. Grace is getting a gift that you can't earn and don't deserve. And the, the gift that he gives us is forgiveness. He's like, I give you this. I will give you this. It's free. It's guaranteed if you'll turn to me. So Jonah's story really plays out like a parable of what God's grace looks like. Um, many of us have been there. At the rock bottom, where we're like, man, there's no way God can forgive this. But even there, even at rock bottom, there's grace. Let's look at what Jonah says in verse 4. He says, I've been banished from your sight. Jonah recognizes his position. He understands, and I believe fully that at this moment when he thought this in the fish, he probably thought like, this is it. Like, I'm probably going to get digested by this fish, right? I'm going to be done. And so he said, I realize I've been banished by your sight. But look what he says. Yet... I will look again towards your holy temple. Jonah's been a prophet for a long time, and he understands God. And when you look through the Old Testament, what we see over and over and over again is that God never issues discipline without an opportunity for grace. He always gives us a chance to turn back for him. He always gives us a chance for forgiveness. It's true then, and it's true now. And Jonah, from this fish, looks to God. He says, I turn my eyes up to the temple. And I love the wording of that. I look up to the temple because, I mean, he is down. Like, you don't get much more down than Jonah right now. Like, he's down. Says he's at the roots of the mountains. That's low. But he looks up to the temple. For the Jews, jo Jonah was a Jewish man. For the Jews, the temple represented God's presence. In fact, uh, they had a room in there called the Holy of Holies. It's where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. And it was the place that God said, I'm going to allow a portion of my presence to dwell in this little room. And this is where people would turn to bow and pray to God. This was the location for worship. And Jonah said, listen, I have hit rock bottom, but I know that your grace is always available. And so even here, I'm going to turn my eyes to the temple. I'm reminded of another place in the Kings, in 1 Kings chapter 8, and we're, we're seeing how the Jews viewed the temple. Listen to this, because it really resonates with us today. He's talking about the temple in verse 38, 1 Kings 8, 38. It says, 
when a prayer or a plea is made by anyone among your people Israel, being aware of the afflictions of their own heart and spreading out their hands towards the temple, then hear from heaven your dwelling place. Forgive and act. Deal with everyone according to all they do since you know their hearts, for you alone know every human heart. Solomon, the guy who was saying this prayer, was saying, listen, when I think about the temple, what I know is that God's presence is there. And then when people turn our hearts towards God's presence, when we outstretch our arms and we empty our hearts towards God's, we say, listen, I'm being honest with you now. I recognize that I have been, that I've messed up. But I turn my eyes to your presence, God. And this is what Solomon said in that prayer in 1 Kings. He says, forgive and act And this prayer that Solomon said and this idea is just as real for us today as it was for Jonah back in that fish that God not only hears us when we pray because it's never too late to pray. He hears us when we pray, but he knows our heart. He understands the sorrow that we feel, the repentance, the goal that we have of not doing that again. And he's able to forgive. And if we're being honest about the condition of our heart towards God and we spread our hands out to him in submission... He will not only hear us, he will forgive us and he will act in our lives. And guys, that's what Jesus is all about. Jonah lived in a time before Jesus, okay? And before Jesus, the the redemption, the forgiveness of sins came by going to the temple, by having a priest pray with you, by offering sacrifices. This was the act that brought along grace. But you know what Jesus does? He takes the place of that whole system. God says, I want to become a human, And so God becomes a human. You know what that human's name was? That human's name was Jesus. He said, I'm going to take a place of that whole system. And not only do we not have to turn our eyes towards Jerusalem anymore, because the temple isn't there anymore. The Bible says that when we have accepted God into our lives, his Holy Spirit comes into our life. We read about it in Acts chapter 2. We've had like five baptisms this summer. It's so awesome because in Acts chapter 2 says that when we give our lives to Jesus and we get baptized, that the gift at baptism we receive is God's Holy Spirit in our life. Acts chapter 2 verse 38. Forgiveness of our sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then in 1 Corinthians 3, do you know what it says? It says that we become the temple of God's spirit. When you hit rock bottom, you don't have to look to the temple anymore in Jerusalem. Jesus says, set your eyes on me. I'm the one who can give you forgiveness. I'm the one who can give you grace. God's grace is guaranteed. And even from the pit of this fish, Jonah knows it. Jonah hopes for grace. And Jonah's going to get it. He is going to get it. But verse 5 reminds me of something else. It's the fourth big idea. And, and I think we have to go to this fourth big idea, and it's going to hit some of you because of what you're going through right now. I don't know what you're going through. A lot of times after I teach, someone comes come to me and says, man, it's like you were talking to me this morning. I promise you. If I'm talking to anybody, I'm talking to this dude. I'm talking to me, okay? But you may be going through something right now that this next big idea will hit. And this is it. God's discipline is thorough. God's discipline is is thorough. Listen to verse 5, what he says. It says, the engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountain I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. Jonah felt the punishment, didn't he? You're like, dude, I am <laughs> I'm up a creek right now. Like, I am messed up. I'm in this fish. I can hardly breathe. I smell bad. This fish's stomach acid is starting to irritate my skin. Like, he's just having a bad day. And he realizes, like, I am receiving the punishment that I deserve here. God's discipline is thorough. Now, now I got a question. How long 
do you think it took? How long do you think it took once Jonah got inside that fish for him to be sorry for what he had done? I think about three seconds. Maybe it took a little bit longer because he was probably freaking out and had a panic attack for about an hour and a half. But after that, he was probably like, yeah, I probably should have just gone to Nineveh in the first place. Like, that would have been a lot better than this. <gasps> you know? About three seconds. How long did God let Jonah stay in the fish? Tell me. Three days. Growing up, my, um, my dad used to give me spankings. And I know you got opinions about spankings. Everybody's got opinions about spankings. This is my opinion. They're a good thing. Okay, that's my opinion. I think they should be one of many things in an arsenal of discipline for children because not every child responds the same way to different types of discipline. And obviously, abuse is not an option. But anyway, that was my public service announcement. And you can be mad at me if you want to. But my dad, he was a fan of spankings. And, uh, <laughs> and I remember times when I got in trouble and I'd go in my room. My dad would always send me in my room, be like, you're getting a spanking, go to your room. I'm like, shoot. And I'm in my room, and he would walk in, he started to undo his belt. How long do you think it took me, once I saw him undoing his belt, to be sorry for what I did? About three seconds, maybe less. I'm sorry, I was a changed man. Like right now, I will never do it again. I'm sorry, Daddy, please forgive me, Daddy. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And I was 18 years old when I did that. And I'm like, please. And so, you know, I'm, I, but, but here's the thing. You think my dad still punished me? Yeah. And I think it's because my dad wanted me to understand the relationship between rebellion and pain. Because when we, when we rebel, when we kick against what's good, what does it cause us eventually? Somebody tell me. Pain. And you might get busted by mom or dad. You might get busted by the cops. You might OD. You might crash into a tree. But at some point, rebellion is going to cause pain. And I believe that's why discipline is so important. Because I never want my kids to experience that pain. I don't mind if they feel a little bit alone while they're sitting in their rooms. I don't mind if they feel a little sting right on this thick part that God gave them right here. I don't mind because I want them to have the close recognition that there is an absolute connection between rebellion and pain. My daddy's discipline was thorough. (laughs) And God's discipline is not only thorough, but it's perfect. He's the good, good father, as we sing about in the song. And he knows what we need, and he wants us to know how to do good. God's discipline is thorough, but it's not thoughtless. A lot of people view God as this vengeant God who's just out to get us. And like the Greek gods of mythology who use people like pawns on a chessboard. But that's not how God is described at all. His discipline is not thoughtless. His discipline has purpose. It's intentional. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, we actually hear about the discipline of God. Hebrews 12, verse 7 says this, endure hardship as discipline. Anybody got some hardship right now? I told you this might hit some of you because of what you're going through right now. You got some hardship? You know how you can view that? It says endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. What children are not disciplined by their father? Sometimes I hear this phrase, why doesn't God just come in and stop this? And a lot of times my answer is, I don't know. I don't know why God just doesn't stop the senseless violence. I don't know why he doesn't just stop the craziness that's happening. I don't know. But I do know this, that as we experience hardship in our life, 
it teaches us that we can turn to God. Look at the rest of this verse in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 10. It says, they, talking about our earthly fathers, they disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. I love that verse. I tell it to my kids all the time, like, I'm, I'm doing my best. Like, I don't know if this is the best way to parent sometimes, but I try. They discipline us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. What's God's goal through his discipline? That we can experience his holiness, his perfection, his goodness. I love this verse 11. You ever had a little sting in your backside when you were a kid? No discipline seems pleasant at the time. <laughs> but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Not punished by it, but trained. He doesn't do these things to pay us back. He allows these things to bring us back. Discipline's no fun, but it's the path to learning about who God is what holiness is, and what it means to trust him. Sometimes once we realize we've done wrong, we just want to say, sorry, I'm sorry, God. And we're like, yeah, I'll go to church this week. I will go to church. I will read my Bible this week. It only took us about three seconds to be sorry. But you might be going through something that's been lasting a while. And it might be because God's saying, listen, I want you to understand the relationship between rebellion and pain. So that as you move on, You'll seek me instead. Circumstances of our life are not to pay us back. They're to bring us back. And my guess is God wants you to thoroughly remember that he loves you. Because he doesn't want us to run from him. He loves us too much. And so that's, that's the, the fourth big idea. Maybe that hit some of you this morning. The fifth big idea from the prayer um, is this. And it's so awesome. That God is a God of second chances. Isn't he ever? Man, look at Jonah's story. We had the spoiler before. I mean, he, let's just look at what happens here. God is a God of second chances. Verse 9 of Jonah chapter 2. He says, but I with shouts of grateful praise will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. His whole perspective has shifted. Now he's ready to preach that sermon. What's the sermon going to say? Salvation comes from the Lord. He's ready to go to Nineveh now, God. I'm ready. I will say what it is that you want me to say. I want to do what it is that you want me to do. There isn't anyone else who can help Jonah right now. I mean, he might have some good-meaning friends back in Jerusalem who like, might have a fishing pole and like, they could try. He might have some high-ranking government officials that he knew. Remember, he was a pretty influential prophet, and they might be writing him a pardon, like, you may now exit the fish. Nobody's helping Jonah right now. Nobody. So he understands that salvation comes from the Lord. We reach points in our life where there is nobody that can help us except for God. Remember, God's grace is guaranteed. And it's never too late to pray. God's plan for our life is that we run back to him. And we turn our hearts back to him. God is a God of second chances. You know, this room is full of people who are living in their second chance. Anybody here living in their second chance? Third, fourth, fifth? I lost count, right? Yeah. I saw a couple of hands go up that kind of brought a little tear to my eye because I know your story. And I know who you were before you decided to live for Jesus. And man, your life is different now, isn't it? And sometimes you still are going through the hardships, right? But you know where to turn. You know where to run. My question is, what will you do with your second chance? What are you doing with your second chance? Or are you interested in that second chance from God? God is patient. And God has been faithful. 
And even when we hit rock bottom, fishy, gutsy, rock bottom, we can still look up. And we say, God, I'm ready. I need you. I I need you and I'm ready. I'm ready to be all in. Salvation comes from the Lord. You know that's the message of the story of Jonah? Salvation comes from the Lord. You know that's the message of the Bible from cover to cover? Salvation comes from the Lord. You know that if you have decided that Jesus is going to lead your life, you know that's the, the lesson of your life. Salvation comes from the Lord. You tried other things. But you know, God wasn't done with Jonah yet. Jonah could have easily been like, all right, I'm done. And the end, lights out, end scene, fall asleep in the fish. And that's sometimes what happens when we, when we make mistakes, right? But then comes the most awesome redeeming moment in the Bible. Uh, first, verse 10, and the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Mmm, <laughs> fish vomit. This might be the nastiest baptism in the Bible right here. Like, I, don't, I didn't want that one, like... I don't think that's what Carrie Underwood was talking about when she said there must be something in the water. Like, I don't know. But uh, that's Jesus. I mean, that's Jonah getting a second chance. He comes right up. And and we could actually end the story there. Be like, yay, Jonah got puked up on the beach. Sweet. And that's cool. That's actually awesome, right? Can we admit that for Jonah? We we don't want to hug him. Maybe he want to take a shower first. Then we'll, congratulations. But I want to sneak in, just tiptoe over into chapter three real quick. We're going to pick up chapter 3 next week, but let's look at the first verse of chapter 3 because this is where we really learn about the God of second chances. It says, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. A second time. If you've ever felt washed up, if you've ever felt like you've just gone too far from God, I've run too far away, I've made too many mistakes, God's like, I'm not done with you yet. Please turn to me. Stop running away from me and run towards me. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. You, you ever been in one of those relationships where you did something boneheaded and your significant other or friend would not talk to you? Yeah, I mean, it's not fun, is it? You're like, oh man, like this is the word. At least yell at me, like punch me in the face. Do anything else, don't not talk to me. That's got to be what Jonah felt like. Can you imagine how quiet it was in that fish? Can you imagine how lonely it must have been? But then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. You ever had that relationship reconciled where that person does say, hey, I'm ready to talk. And you just start crying, I'm so happy we're going to talk. You haven't even said anything yet. God is a God of second chances, and he offers them day after day after day after day. His calendar has no end. He lives for eternity. He wants you to come back to him. And I'm talking to you right now. If you have been in church your whole life, and you're like, no, I'm good. I'm good. No, I'm talking to you. Jonah was good. Jonah was a prophet. Jonah had it going on. But we still in our life have to choose every day to run towards God. We want to be God-chasing, grace-shaped Love agents, and all three of those are present in Jonah's story. Because on this day, he turns around, he begins to chase God again. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. God wasn't finished with Jonah yet. And guys, I'm telling you, God's not finished with your life yet. As we wrap up today, um, like I said, we're going to pause. We're just going through the story of Jonah. So, er, done. I want to leave us with a thought. Um, 
we, we all run from God. We do in various ways, but God has gone to extreme levels to bring us back to him. He has. I told you earlier, God puts skin on. He becomes Jesus. He gave his life on a cross so that we could experience life. It's this amazing, deep, spiritual thing. And, and, and if you're new today and you haven't been coming to church very long, and maybe that's some stuff you still want to learn about. But man, I'm going to tell you, God has gone to some extreme levels to bring us back to him. He's done almost all the work. And he's just waiting on us to do a little bit on our own. Uh, there's an author. His name is Max Licato. And he tweeted something a couple years back that stuck out in my mind. And I want to show it to you. This is a tweet that Max Licato had. Do we have it up there? Nope. All right. Well, I'll read it to you. This is what it says. This is what Max tweeted. He said, if a hundred steps separate you from Christ, God has taken 99. If a thousand steps have separated you from Christ, God has taken 999. He says, walk in his direction. He is waiting. And what that's saying is this. God has done most of the work to bring us back to him. But it's on us to take a step. We've got to take a step. God saves sinners, and he's all about second chances. So here's my challenge for us today, all right? As we leave here today, and you need something to hold on to, maybe it was one of those five big ideas. Maybe just a story of Jonah has been inspirational for you. Or maybe this is what you need. Here's my challenge for us today, that you would take one more step towards God today. No matter where you are in your walk and your understanding of God. Like I said earlier, if you've been in church your whole life, know that you will continue to take one more step towards God. Pray one more time. Read your Bible just a little bit more. It might be that you're here for the first time or you're here with a friend or you're just here on vacation and you're like, I don't really do church, really. I mean, I go, but take a step towards God. What will it be? What will it be for you today? Maybe, um, maybe your step is that you just plan to come back next week. It's a good step. It's one we encourage all the time. Just come back one more time. Come back one more time. I love, I love my boy Willie's story right here. Willie tells a story about he, he always heard us say, come back one more time. So he did. One more time. Came one more time. Then he came one more time. Next thing you knew, it was six months later. And Willie's super involved in our church now. And he's like working with our kids in the back. It's been great to get to know him. That could be your story. Just come back. One more time, take one step closer to God today. Maybe you're one of the people across America right now, statistics are showing that on average people are attending church about twice a month. That's pretty good, I guess. But do you know, this is the body of Christ. We've got to be connected to the body of Christ. That's one of the things that Jesus teaches us. And maybe your next step is, hey, our family, let's try to be here every week. Let's try to be here one more week a month. Let's try to be plugged in, not because of the service and because we want to have more people in seats, but because I want to plug into what God's doing. I want to hear from his word, and I want to be serving, and I want to be loving. Maybe that's a step for you. Maybe for you, it's a phone call that you need to make. A friend or boyfriend or a girlfriend, you're like, man, you know what? This relationship is totally pulling me away from God. And you call them and say, man, I just want to make some changes in my life. You don't have to, like, break up with them or throw them away and kick them to the curb, but you can't say, listen, our relationship probably needs to change until I, until I figure out how to take one more step towards God every day. It might be that you've got a bottle of pills or a bottle of liquor at home that is running your life right now. You bow down to that idol every day, and you're addicted to it, and you know it. And you think nobody else does, but they probably do, the ones who love you. Maybe your step today is to go home and dump that stuff down the drain because you don't need it in your life. And you say, I want to turn to God, to his temple, to his presence. I don't know what the step you need to take is, but odds are you do. And I want to encourage you 
Don't wait till next week. Don't wait till next month. Don't put it on the calendar and say, I'm going to do this right when I get out of high school. I'm going to do this right when I get out of college. I'm going to do this once we get married. I'm going to do this then. I'm going to do this. Don't put it on your calendar. Today's the day. Today's the day. Maybe what you need to do is give your life to Jesus. You know, we've had a bunch of people give their life to Jesus this summer. Uh, in fact, our church is almost three years old. I was sharing with someone this morning uh, that we have had 42 baptisms in the past three years. Isn't that exciting? Can we praise God for that? Yeah, 42. That's 42 people who are saying, you know what, I'm taking this big step for God. Maybe you need to turn your life over to Jesus and you need to just say, I want to become a Christian. We can, we can set that up. You can talk to me after church or, or somebody else that you saw on stage or a volunteer and say, I just want to talk about what it means to become a Christian. Maybe that's the step you need to take. That's a big step. But that's the biggest step you'll ever take in your life. And it'll change everything. What step will you take? You know, God is the God of second chances. No matter what bottom you've sunk to, look up. Salvation comes from the Lord. And you can take one step and one more step, and one more step, and before you realize it, you stop running away from God, and you're running into his presence every day. That's exciting. Let's pray. God, we love you, and uh, we thank you for your gift of new life. We thank you for the opportunity to run to you. God, thank you for Jonah. Um, in so many ways, he reminds us of ourselves when we just turn our backs on you, and we end up kind of broken or kind of messed up. God, you've given us your kingdom, you've given us your church, you've given us your people to lift us up out of the water that we can turn to them in our times of need and that we can turn to you. Father, as we continue uh, this morning, I just pray that um, each one of us learns to take one more step, just one more step every day and that will turn into a solid sprint in your direction. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.